Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. If God is in all places at all times, why do most people not experience it? Well, identity has 13 reasons for you to consider. That's our discussion today on the not-so-hidden God. We'll begin with the reason why we've related to God as a to-believe-or-not-believe issue since the dawn of civilization, and explore some of our very real reasons why your protection mechanisms have a vested interest in not experiencing God directly. There is no escaping self-interest, after all. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. Hello, Stace. Thank you for being here, as usual. Well, we have a, this is a rare circumstance where we have a pre-title. Normally, I create the titles after the fact, um, but the title of today's program, or at least uh, the tentative title, is The Not-So-Hidden God. Where should we begin? Well, you know, I guess let's start in a, in a meta space and we'll kind of funnel down. Um, in, one, in one specific uh, domain of spiritual um, concern. Uh, really, one way to describe uh, our species, a way of um, uh, what, how it's uh, framed human life on Earth is that there are two main possibilities that frame uh, how we experience ourselves as humans. Um, there, one is there is no God, and that means Mother Nature is our parent, right? Uh, and that makes our humanness no different than any other animal on the planet. Um, or, or there is a God or spirit dimension of being within which our human beings and everything else um, condenses or precipitates. Right? Uh, and in that second possibility, of course, then there's room for a wondering, oh, how can I say it? Uh, what makes us different than animals and, and also involves the whole question of a soul that maybe survives physical death and so maybe reincarnatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these are, these are bifurcating um, streams of inquiry uh, and assumptions that uh, have governed the secular, uh, the difference between a secular empirical world and uh, a spiritual, religio-spiritual world. Um, so our species have been have bickered around around this uh, issue for centuries and centuries and centuries, of course, and uh, uh, and that involves all these these are ant- antithetical philosophies of human uh, context, and so um, these uh, all are re- both sides are represented by a bunch of different pair of uh, philosophies and value systems, um, but uh, to address that. Um, but identity offers a very different value system and philosophy about uh, uh, about how to address the issue of are we is there a god or is there not a god? Because identity offers a dharma, which we'll talk a bit more about, um, uh, in how to actually personally uh, experience divine being and no longer need belief like we've talked about uh, so many times. Yeah, the frame of believe or not believe, that has yeah. been the very bad question or yeah. <laughs> a dead-endable question. How about that as a frame? It's a yeah. dead-endable question. 
Exactly. That bifurcation of the two uh, worldviews of uh, what contexts or not, um, or Mother Nature or um, a divine being of some sort. Uh, oh, I want to insert an observation. I just had this recently talking with a client um, about uh, the client said, um, I, I, the question I asked was, did you feel that your parents loved you? Mm -hmm. I think it was specifically about her father. Did you feel that he loved you? Mm -hmm. And um, the client said, deep down, I knew he did. Uh -huh. And I went, oh, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't really answer the question. And we sort of unpacked right. and went deeper into that. Um, and that was the same experience that I had in, in my family. So it was very resonative and like, and this is like very common for fathers, I think, with children and their fathers. It's like, well, he never says I love you. Mom says I love you. Yeah. Whether you actually feel it is a whole other question. But dad, he doesn't necessarily say I love you, but you just know mm -hmm. that he loves you. And in my mm -hmm. family, there would be this part that was sort of this um, part of the mythos of it or the ethos or whatever was like, we would say, well, you know, dad loves you. He wouldn't say that. But my mother mm -hmm. would say that because there was it was appreciated that he wasn't saying it. Mm -hmm. So you were supposed to know it. Mm -hmm. And then I'd never made this connection before of how that very same dynamic gets projected onto God. Yes. That it's a because as children, we yes. don't to significant degree, depending on the circumstance, we significantly don't experience love from our parents, but we right. know we're supposed to. <laughs> yes. And they tell us, but we don't feel it. Yeah. And then we project that exact circumstance onto God. Well, I don't actually experience it, but I love the idea of it. So yeah. I'll just believe it. And right. then I kind of experience it. Maybe that's what love is. <laughs> oh, you described the problem so tragically beautifully. Yeah. Um, I'm smiling, but it's, it's, yeah, a, it's awful. It's, it's an awful thing. And it's no coincidence, you know, that we project uh, onto our ultimate parent, um, uh, our experience with our uh, uh, incarnational parents uh, at any moment. And, that, and that's crazy to me that that situation then, like that exact situation became the philosophical and religious frame yes. of God yes. for like all of human civilization. Should yes. I believe in it or not? And it's like all because you can, because people don't experience the love of their parents sufficiently. That's so crazy. Great observation. I never had put it together in that direct sequence of, of linearity. Uh, you connected the dots there really beautifully. Uh, I had never thought about it either before. It was like, no wonder. So in other words, because it's when you, when, you, when you actually communicate to someone, like, hey, it's not about believing or disbelieving, but actually experiencing. And you point to Muhammad or uh, Moses or Yeshua and like that they directly talked about their direct experiences of God and they didn't mm -hmm. actually talk about believing it except in mistranslations here and there. People are like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, if it makes such obvious intuitive sense, why have we been so deluded for thousands of years because of that emotional distortion? It's uh, right up uh, the middle of the bowling lane here for me on this, <laughs> what you're saying there because it's a uh, I, I've always um, uh, exhorted people over the years to consider um, how the promise of, uh, of religion is never been fulfilled to put you in contact with God. Yeah. Uh, the, be the best thing it can do is put you in contact with a belief in God. Yeah. And, and that's, not, that's not unreal, 
but it's like building a bridge across a chasm and then you can see the chasm, but you can't walk across the bridge to the other side. Yeah. And that's why at seven years old, when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and they Mm -hmm. said, you can talk to God with this Ark thing. I was like, yeah, I want that. But all of the (laughs) Jewish conditioning I got in Hebrew school, which was all about belief, didn't appeal to me in the least. I want to talk to God at seven years old. I wanted to talk to God. And they, they, they didn't even promise that, especially in the reform Judaism that I was brought up in. It's not it's not even about believing in it, per se. It's more about the tradition, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. You just you, um, you uh, did you have female rabbis in your reform version? Uh, yeah, I, I, there were there was only one rabbi because it was such a small town. I think it um, would have been I, th- I think it would have been accepted, but there wasn't actually one. But yeah. Yeah. And isn't that, isn't that something, uh, uh, the, they, the religions, because it was a pre-psychological age and they had no idea about, um, about the unconscious in that, in that time. So that's why they devolved to original sin or whatever it is, is the, is the bugaboo, uh, Satan. Uh, it, it's so amazing that, um, they set the bar so low to belief as opposed to experience um, if I if we had the Pope on uh, on the podcast here, I'd ask him: Does the uh, uh, Catholic Church uh, claim to be able to put people into contact with God, or is it is belief enough for all of you and the way you view things? I'd love to ask him that question. Well, the, there's the hierarchy of the Church, right? Because in in you know uh, pre-Renaissance or I guess even Renaissance uh, uh, Catholicism. It, it, it was definitely not about the common man experiencing God. That's what the clergy was for. And we'll That's let right. you know what he says, you know, and, and to the point where it's not even, the Bible's not even translated into your language. We'll read it and then tell right. you. So In that fact, division is, was, was hardscaped. Oh, nicely put. And another uh, a proof of that or another expression of that was that if you dared in early Christianity to try to be like Jesus, they would call you a heretic. Yeah, but you're, that's what's it's going to be crazy about, about Jesus. Like you're supposed to be like Jesus, but he's but, the son of God. So you couldn't ever possibly be like that. Well, which the yeah. hell is it? Right, exactly. Uh, in fact, you you risked um, if you if you uh, tried to forgive, quote unquote, one silly example, if you forgive like Jesus forgave, uh, you you would be laughed or stoned in one way because you're trying you're elevating yourself to the level of Jesus' yeah. consciousness. See? Isn't, that, isn't that apotheosis? Is that what that word is? Exactly yeah. right. So, and so yeah, and so Jesus was worthy of God's love. Yes. And you should be like him, but you're not worthy of God's love. Well, that's kind of a big barrier to being like Jesus, right? Like I can't be sinned and worthy of God. Oh my God. It's crazy. No, no, you know, it's taken 40, 40 years for me to laugh about this um, uh, because uh, I've had such horrific um, experiences of pain and, um, and, and hopelessness about uh, how low the bar is uh, the re- the religion set for actually encountering divinity. That's what yeah, today- and I, I want to say something. I, I wonder, like, I, I often feel self-conscious about laughing at the preposterousness of the metaphysics. But when I encounter this with people yeah. and talking yeah. with it, it's it's not laughable at all because you're feeling the the twistedness in the person's emotional body that it does. It's It's absolutely awful. Yeah, yeah. And laughable at the level of metaphysics and logic. Sure. 
And so, yeah, I've had such mixed feelings about it over the years, but most, most of my reactivity was um, determined by, I'd always have people uh, write out uh, what it is that, how they experience uh, catholicism um, because uh, it, 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 it I, I wanted the personal uh, 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 story of how people suffered under it. Mm. And that always uncovered personal stuff also. Uh, and so uh, that w the, the, the literally, I don't know, five, six, eight, 10, 12 dozen um, examples I've had of that over the 70 years I've been working in this paradigm, their testimony about what, what how badly they endured um, uh, 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 abuse or neglect by the Catholic Church made them sour on God altogether. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the second tragedy, is that uh, mm -hmm. these religions get it so mixed up, upside down and inside out, that a rational, sane person might go to the other side. And, and that way, I always argue that religions are technically so indefensible that they actually produce the opposite effect and drive a good percentage of people into atheism. Yeah. That or, you know, just like um, uh, Meister Eckhart said, that the belief in God prevents you from the experience of it. So either it locks you into a mental body picture, which won't ever bring it to you, or it drives you to push away from the idea because it's only an idea entirely rather than a, uh, a process of healing to encounter. Exactly right. So in that sense, uh, um, we can, we'll repeat this in a few minutes, uh, I think, but um, the first parameter or proposal that identity brings about why people don't experience divine being directly is because of belief. Uh, that's the basic starting point. A belief will prevent because a, a belief is a position. You can have a sense. Some many people have a sense of divinity, and then they they link that to the belief and think that. Like we've said before, it's a that belief is a heart-centered thing, but it's not. It's an energetic orientation or position you take based on a sense. Uh, not many people, not not all people, have a sense of the divine, and yet they still that all they're left with then is this positionality about uh, a belief. A, a and belief this is about. also predicated on the um, fact we would argue that people process reality vastly through the mental body without even realizing that they're doing that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into some of the uh, counterintuitive metaphysics of that very thing here then, and mm -hmm. as we talk here today. So in that sense, um, uh, we've, we've, as we've said in other podcasts, uh, belief itself only exists in a context uh, of never having actually experienced that which we have a belief about, right? Uh, we don't need to believe in the sun because we can directly experience it. Just so um, a belief in God is only required when we haven't, haven't yet experienced it. There's a 13, um, I, I come up with 13 parameters or proposals that um, will explain why we don't experience divine being. The 13, so wow. Cool. 13 of them. It's just, they fell out of, uh, recently fell out uh, of me. And so the first one is about belief, just as we've been saying. Um, the second parameter, um, and again, I love your rabbit holes. I need to just stop me at any moment. Okay. Uh, the second of 13 is that despite uh, how most of us have never had a direct experience of it, 
if there is a God, we're starting from scratch here to try to build the argument on how to experience it um, and have then have it proven to yourself. Uh, if there is a God, there could never be any structural separation from it between uh -huh. us and it. A, uh -huh. no structural. Because if there were, that would mean there was something outside. If we weren't inside of God at all times, then, then we would be outside and nothing can be outside of God or God can't be God. Oh, so, words, so number two is that we're looking for something outside of us. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Um, it, 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 and we'll get to the how complex actually that question becomes oh, uh, with uh, hierarchy versus holoarchy. But uh, in this sense, um, the supposition proposal here is that uh, we cannot ever be separated from divine being, um, because or else it wouldn't be divine being. Everything that is <laughs> must be somehow embedded within some this God that supposedly is, uh, with no structural boundaries, only artificially conditioned experiential boundaries. And that's the third parameter. Like original sin, that kind of? Yeah, let, uh -huh. let's go from the meta first, though. You're exactly right. Uh -huh. any, any personal sense of any separation from God, then, could, could only be subjectively experiential, not structurally, you see? Because if there's no separation structurally, any sense that we have that we're separated from God must be a subjectively experiential dynamic and not any objective structural truth based in how anything that's merely subjectively experiential, if I can be technical here, is actually an artificial conditioning. Mm -hmm. Anything that is subjectively experiential makes room for being conditioned in a thousand different ways. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, that's a really important link here that any sense of separation from God has to be conditioned into us somehow because structurally there is no separation. This is a really counterintuitive kind of important point uh, to see that only our conditioning keeps us from experiencing in this, at this level of the parameters, uh, it is obstructed uh, uh, to the uh, experience of actually experiencing that structural embedment uh, of a, a divine being. So, um, in that sense, uh, if, if it's been conditioned into us, <laughs> it can be it can be conditioned out of us. Uh, so, in that sense, uh, any any form of conditioning can be, if you have the right dharma and exploratory um, uh, um, uh, uh, abilities, any conditioning can be deconstructed, decoded, and deconditioned. That's some, it's something that was just basically merely learned mm -hmm. and not, so, not, not something essential about us. And, and the fact that, as we've said in actually recent podcasts, how ignorant the world is of the effect of conditioning. Yeah. Uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti. The idea is just a couple hundred years old. Uh, absolutely. And, and Jiddu Krishnamurti, uh, even though I like um, the other Krishnamurti, uh, much more, uh, much more clean version of enlightenment. Um, uh, what was his name? I always forget his first name. Uh, 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 J, J Krishnamurti and U Krishnamurti. Yeah. UG. Yeah. UG. UG. Yes. Mm -hmm. UG Krishnamurti. Um, uh, in that sense, uh, 
anything, he, his main question that drove all of his teaching is what is an unconditioned consciousness? You, that was J or UG? J. J. That was J. Yeah. yeah. That was his guiding Northern star. Uh, it was, he lived a life. That's why one thing I loved about him. He, it was always an inquiry. Mm -hmm. Uh, there wasn't an ever an end, an end conclusion. It was always in process. And that was much more in alignment. That's true Zen. Yeah. Yeah, that's true Zen. That's more in alignment of, um, of the, of Gautama's uh, original teaching before it got non-dualized uh, by going to Japan and China. Nounified, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exa nounified, exactly. So anything, let's, let's quickly, uh, um, get back on our, our central track here. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, got it. There's no structural um, uh, 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 um, space between uh, uh, separation from us from divine being, or it couldn't be divine being. The second is that if you do have a sense of um, a separation, then that's been conditioned into you because structurally there isn't. And third is that if something is conditioned into us, we can certainly, uh, if you have the right parameters in your dharma, deconstruct and decondition from that sense of separation from divine being, right? So as you said a few minutes ago, uh, especially in the modern day, um, basically uh, all the other paradigms of the human condition um, will tell us that mind, will, or the physical body as, as brain uh, remains, is malconditioned into us as the essential origin of human consciousness. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, I am, and um, uh, uh, I am. I have an I because I have a mind, I have will, or I have a brain. Uh, that that's the malconditioning as the origin of the I or of our ability to have relationship with. Ah, yeah, that's a structural inside versus outsideism, right there. I, exactly yeah. right. Um, so only in that sense, while the mind, the will, or the brain remains malconditioned into us as the essential origin of our usness, uh, God may, de may be debated as an idea, but is inexperienceable as a reality. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because the origin of the I or the origin of uh, have, being able to even communicate as a human being is, uh, is all of our paradigms of mind, will, or brain does it. And uh, I just want to add in here, the proof of this has been shown in um, the, the uh, casual clinical trials of emotional body and soulman over the last, what is it, 40 years now? Uh, 40, 40 years, yes. 40 years, um, and I myself was one of those guinea pigs. Uh, when I began the process, I was a uh, incurious agnostic, I would say. I was not, uh, I didn't know, and I wasn't doing much to find out about uh, the divine and the deconditioning from my childhood uh, without any intention whatsoever led me straight into experiences of the divine without any belief whatsoever. Um, that that's such an important point, uh, Joseph, that even the, the most dense version of identity's dharma's personhood, where we get into content, 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 it has its own meta, of course, in context, but it's the densest um, uh, dharma in that sense with no, and that's the key that you just said, with no aim to reveal the divine just by 
deconditioning your personal experience. Not only no aim, um, yeah. no real no interest, interest, and actually no plenty of resistance and judgment about it. So yeah. um, I often say, like back then, you had the sainthood and sagehood as quite separate from personhood, and you were presenting yes. personhood as like right. its own thing. And maybe one day you'll look at these other right. hoods. You didn't present it as one whole picture. Um, right. And it's a good thing for me that you didn't, because I probably would have been really turned off by it. Uh, yeah. And so, like, not only was I not looking for any experience of the divine, but the process of uh, emotional body ensoulment has um, brought up plenty of um, quite challenging stuff related to that, because it is inextricably intertwined with the nature of my very soul. And my um, protection mechanisms were quite committed to that staying separate from me. And that's still something I wrestle with. So there's yeah. the proof in the pudding is your relationship with God <laughs> might be uh, intentionally separated from you. And it might come upon you without you even wanting to look at it. And that's a whole separate kind of journey. Yeah. And uh, the data that I always got, uh, Joseph, by people like yourself who had no interest and even some resistance, who got into it as a sort of psychology on steroids yeah. um, uh, dynamic, when it did unfold that without trying and in the presence of some resistance, some revealment of divinity became palpable and experiential. Though that told me, that was data that told me that there was something, because uh, not everyone has that, Yep. Those that does show up with already, uh, I would I would could characterize it in a couple ways. My first reactions to it was, well, only an elder soul would uh, have that revealable divine, the divine revealable by by simply unwinding and deconditioning from uh, local incarnational parental or childhood wounding, because it, it must be my first assumption and feeling was it was loaded back there and and came out simply by uh, unscrewing some tightness in the personal domain and yeah. bam it was see so that was my first uh, um, way of uh, parameterizing older or elder souls when that popped out without any intention yeah and to me that's remains to be one of the most compelling examples of how um it's uh, how EBE is not just really good therapy. It's actually working at the level of soul because of those kinds of emergent phenomena that things yeah. happen, aspects of, of attributes, qualities, um, attainments come through that for no good reason, you know, for no, yes. for no obvious reason, they just show up with no obvious. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes you, there are ways in which you become someone that you had no intention or desire to become, but it's always good because it's you. Exactly. So uh, uh, let's recoup uh, for number five and go to number six here. Uh, the, again, when mind, will, or the body remains this, the origination story of our being, basically, meaning it's when the mind dies, the will dies, the physical body dies, that's the end of the story. Um, uh, God can be debated, but um, those assumptions will act absolutely prevent, prevent um, a, a, an actual experience of the not-so-hidden God. So we already described how all forms only only uh, uh, um, conditioning will give us a sense of separation from divinity 
because there's no structural. So now we go to the next step, number six, identity offers that all forms of conditioning, all forms to some degree is largely based, and this is a seminal assumption, all conditioning, and this is something no, no Eastern teaching has, that all of our conditioning uh, uh, is largely based to, in some degree with emotive wounding only. It's not just that we're taught that earth is flat, for yeah. example. Uh, certainly there are those layers that um, do that, but those can be um, uh, affirmed or, or denied by more secular factual experimentation and observation. What I'm saying is the root of all conditioning, the conditioning itself wouldn't stick unless yeah. there's emotional wounding at the bottom of it. Uh, so if someone comes to me and says, well, I believe that the uh, worth, the, the world is flat, uh, I would say, well, um, go, go, to, um, go to the total Portugal on the sea there and watch a, 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 a boat come in. Uh, you'll see the mast first on the horizon before you ever see the hull come up. And there's the curvature and a very simple opportunity right there. But if he still does, if such a person still insists, I, I'm not interested in any in any uh, proofs because this is what I believe. I would then assume that he's got a really gnarly kind of emotional wound against some authority that told this person some something that turned out to be really false, and so doesn't trust any authority whatsoever. There's an emotional wound right there at the basis of a obstinate kind of um, conditioning. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, a, that's a game changer, that's a sea change to um, actually look at all forms of conditioning, not as something to transcend uh, in, in the Eastern way, because they're very clear about what conditioning is, the West isn't. Uh, in that sense- But it uh, can't be transcended because it's in the emotional body. It's not just sitting in the mind. That's our position. Our, yeah. That's the identity's position. Yeah, yeah to, to test. So um, this, this means that conditioning is not just ideationally or willfully held positions or orientations. Uh, it means all manner of conditioning can be healed away with healed away, not transcended away, healed away with an appropriately focused dharma. That's number six, but now that leads us uh, uh, um, right directly into such a healing or appropriately focused dharma uh, can only occur when the pro when the pro uh, in a process whose algorithm of change or healing is based in how emotivity is uh, upstream is the primary aspect of human consciousness upstream of mentality willfulness or physicality as is currently held in virtually all of our paradigms of human consciousness. And it's related to that God is love, love is emotion. If you're not relating to yourself as, as emotive at core, you're going to automatically structurally be separated from the divine. Wow, you go right to the end really fast. <laughs> <laughs> We're still uh, uh, painstakingly unfolding the inevitable sequence. Okay, but sorry about that. Of course, no, you're exactly right. Um, so if we say that um, uh, the position or parameter of identity is that um, the healing of conditioning can only occur within a paradigm, and identity is that paradigm, where emotivity is held as the primary aspect of human consciousness, that we feel 
things before we cognate them, before we um, abstract them, and before we act on them. Uh, and and there are there are physiologists and, and psychologists who do research in this, and 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 way before, way later than I, I learned, actually verify that in um, in with testing in a laboratory that human beings feel something. They can see, they can track amygdalic um, mm -hmm. sources uh, in the brain are activated before the cognitive mm -hmm. are, even, uh, are, are, are activated. And so- And this um, is how marketing and advertising works. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I studied business, when I was learning this, like, you know, it's very clear human beings make purchase decisions unconsciously and emotionally first, and then yeah. justify them rationally. And then, and like, there's so much money has been put into that. It's not even a question anymore. And then I was like, then I learned a bit of identity. Then it was like, wait, why would purchasing decisions be different than any other decision? Right. <laughs> but like, why is it when you choose to marry someone, that's like somehow really rational, different than when you, you know, choose that lawnmower to buy. And um, right. yeah. Yeah, actually, it's a really a beautiful uh, spotlight on the very issue we're talking about. Mm. Um, that, that people don't act in rational self-interest <laughs> at all. They don't make purchases in rational self-interest. Yeah, and this is why Freud's work uh, radically changed the world of political propaganda that Hitler jumped on, and then marketing, right. you know, it was all, it, it's far more used to condition people and to influence their purchasing decisions than it is to heal them, that principle. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, there's the will versus love-based world that we live in. Exactly right. Okay, so that was number seven in our sequence of 13, that emotivity is the primary, uh, the offering here, uh, primary aspect of human consciousness, not mentality, physicality, or willfulness. Now we take a little jump, a little lateral to the stream, but it still connects, uh, the, dots, the dots are still connectable. Now the next uh, one in the sequence, uh, here's, here's the, the, um, the proposal by identity that the dualistic mind itself prevents a direct experience of God uh, as an inappropriate tool to do so in the same way as we said so many times, a fishnet can't hold water or a microscope can't study the stars, right? God uh, is not dualistic. So, say again? Because God is not dualistic. Exactly right, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Oh, okay. um, no, no, that's fine. I mean, you're anticipating all this because you know this so well. I just wanted to create this unfolding. Uh, what's the word? It begins with an e, exhaustive kind of unfolding as an argument, almost a yeah. um, a treatise. Uh, yeah, a treatise. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so now that's the next assumption that can be. Um, uh, the dualistic mind prevents a direct experience of God, uh, and but we do have questions, and here's a right point uh, for you to expound on too, Joseph, is that I had once uh, someone in a different context in a seminar a long time ago uh, ask me about this and said, well, uh, you say you've had a, a non-dual enlightenment experience, yeah. Um, and uh, every other enlightened experience, uh, uh, guru that I know doesn't experience any sort of God, and because even after their dualistic mind is wiped tabula rasa. So he said, How, why don't they, uh, why don't enlightened masters directly experience uh, a divine being if it's the dualistic mind uh, uh -huh. itself and our attachment to it that mm. prevents the experience of God? Why don't good, all of them do? Good question. Mm -hmm. And I love that question. And my immediate answer was, 
because uh, those folks are in early incarnations of having the non-dual tabula rasa of the mind experience. And there's steps in, according to that. Uh, in the same way as really um, uh, honest and, and heartful, uh, enlightened people uh, like Ajya, for example. Yeah, I was just going to say, he talks about God. Yeah. Uh, Yogananda but, talked about God. Well, let, let's go to make a little piece before that um, that leads right to that, is that uh, they will tell you honestly that enlightenment evolves in their lifetime. Yeah. It's not one thing and then stays the same their whole life. It's not a state. It evolves. It's a state. It's always staged, not a state, right? Mm. There's, there, there are stages to it. Well, at least Wilbur got that right. The difference between a stage and a, a stage and a state. Mm -hmm. But in that sense, um, if it evolves in one life, then that's just a fractal of how enlightenment, uh -huh. what it proves, what it what it imparts to the being, evolves over lifetimes, right? And so, uh, my answer to this person's beautiful question was that those are souls just encountering the first dozen or so uh, experiences with the not experience with uh, the, the non-dual yeah. and so that's why they don't experience a divine being and and that's why i can say uh, as number eight here is that the dualistic mind and an early non-dualistic not mind uh, will not experience a, 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 a god uh, if it's either early in their incarnation mm -hmm. chapters with it, or mm -hmm. you're just not enlightened yet. Well, and mm -hmm. also from some of the previous um, pieces you talked about, conditioning, it's it's a myth that enlightenment erases emotional body level conditioning. Yes. It doesn't, yes. as evidenced <laughs> by people like Adi Da, who were plenty yeah. awake and were still <laughs> acting like teenagers in some ways, or John DeRoyter, or exactly. you know, any of these people who were very attained, but still had observable emotional dystrophy. Yeah, I love the way you say that. Um, we wouldn't have all the mischief and greed and sexual impropriety um, among enlightened gurus if emotional um, uh, body dystrophy uh, was erased in enlightenment. Yeah, if emotions were really a subset of mind, it should be. It right? would all wash it right out. Yeah, exactly. So there's another circumstantial, not definitive, uh, but a circumstantial support for identity's position that emotions are a different order of consciousness than the mind, than than, than dualism. Mm -hmm. uh, emotions are much more like verbs than than the nouns of thoughts and images and projections. So uh, if 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 emotional dystrophy can survive in real non-dual enlightenment like Adi Da, he, he, it was the real McCoy, yet <laughs> the guy, I mean, come on. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, to have uh, uh, Osho, uh, who was enlightened in his last uh, worst moment, uh, he was hiding under the seat of his private airplane as the immigration officials were coming to arrest him. And when he was in jail, he demanded a vegetarian diet and a throne to sit on. So, like, yeah. the vegetarian yeah. diet, okay, but the, the throne to sit on while in jail? Yeah. There, if there isn't an example of emotional dystrophy surviving enlightenment, I think that's it right there. Yeah. Like, dude, um, your cat, your kingdom has fallen. You can't, you don't get to sit on a throne anymore. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, one person uh, who now, uh, uh, um, uh, believes uh, that uh, anything that I taught in the past uh, is rubbish. Uh, this person can uh, can um, uh, uh, confronted me and said, 
I never heard that he ordered a throne in jail. You're lying. You're just trying to discredit him, a former Oshoite, uh-huh. right? And I read this. Uh, yeah, in it's a, news. In a, it was in the news, yeah. in the Portland newspaper, when they were up in Oregon uh, doing their thing at, um, what's the, what was the name of the town? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, 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 that person never um, heard that, and they tried to research and said they could find no newspaper articles that ever said that, and I know what I read. So I'm glad you mentioned it, uh, that someone else knows about this too, that it was sort of common. I was, I was out there into the world. So there, a golden throne or some sort of a, a chair of authority he wanted for his, his cell, let's just say it that way. So um, there would be no abuse. Uh, and of course, the sexual impropriety is, 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 a, is, a, is a whole authoritarian authority to um, uh, um, sub, what's the, what's the word? Uh, uh, the authority to the- Subordinate. St- say again? Subordinate. Subordinate, thank you. Uh, you when, when an authority crosses sexual boundaries with a subordinate, um, it is just as uh, um, dishonorable and immoral as it is in business. Uh, mm. So where there's an authority gradient, there is no way that it isn't uh, taking advantage of that authority gradient to get your will uh, to um, have sex with your, uh, f- your followers. And of course, uh, I, this one really gets enlightened uh, follower, or followers of enlightened gurus really gets their dandruff up because uh, they say, well, they're beyond the, the silly morals of our, of our ridiculous uh, um, uh, cultures uh, that, that, uh, that, that come up with this idea. And yeah. uh, my only response to them is, well, stick with that, uh, stick with that orientation until it dead ends for you. Yeah. And you never argue with anyone who's has no curiosity about their position. Yeah. It's uh, it really is useless. So in that sense, um, let's recoup again. Um, the dualistic mind prevents a direct experience of God uh, as an inappropriate tool to do so. In the same way, fishnet can't hold water and microscope can't study the heavens mm. in that way now we now we come to some really juicy parts but number nine of our unfoldment is that in that way the mind projects the dualistic mind projects dualistically configured structures of hierarchy onto divinity that is actually a holoarchy not a hierarchy nice Okay, and that's the segue here that really brings starts to bring stuff home. And we said this before, but bears repeating. Um, and not you know, just onto God, it does that on all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things uh, that is inappropriate to uh, emotions, for example. And another, another way to say this here is that in a holoarchal being, we'd like to always define this, um, divine being can be experienced as a holoarchy, and the simplest way to ex- explain it, even though it's impossible for the mind to visualize, is that uh, in a holoarchy, that which something is inside of is also simultaneously inside of it. In other words, you could say um, uh, a personal holon, small h, uh, exists inside of a wh holon. At the same time, the wh holon lives inside the small h holon, which is impossible in a hierarchy. For example, 
uh, one floor inside of a whole building, um, uh, uh, the, the, there's a hierarchy, in the sense, a meta hierarchy, you could say. One floor is inside of a whole building, but the whole building can't be inside of one floor. Mm-hmm. Or that there's one tile lies within a mosaic, but the whole mosaic cannot lie within one tile. So when it, as soon as you begin to um, project hierarchy onto divine being this is another thing that prevents this the hiddenness of of divine being you cannot capture a holoarchal being when you relate to it out of a dualistically projected mind of hierarchy onto it that it's there in heaven and that's a different domain than earth and that's a different domain than uh, a purgatory in, in, in Catholicism mm-hmm. or a different domain as hell. This is another expression of it being separate from us. So- exactly right, exactly. Uh, it is impossible in a holoarchal being to be separatable uh, from anything that is its child. Uh, so in that sense, divine being lives inside of us at the same time we live inside of it. And not and, and number 10 take, goes right from here and says, no, and this is demonstrable easily, uh, uh, no ancient or modern religious tradition or spiritual teaching, east or west, has ever been based on the reality of a holoarchal divinity. In that sense, all those religious traditions and spiritual teachings of the present or the past, since they're not based on a holoarchal divinity, are going to in some way obstruct experience of the actual divinity. That's because they're, how they're the, the mind to, uses that paradigm. It's sort of like the next lens it looks through, right? It's looking exactly. for dualism, and then it looks through the paradigm that um, supports the hierarchical, yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, now we, we do a little sidebar that's directly related to the whole sequence. Um, abiding only in a belief of God, there's always this question, why doesn't it reveal itself to us? <laughs> let's, let us project our own limitations, <laughs> delusions, and inadequacies and blame God for not revealing itself to us. Oh, yeah. oh my God! Yeah, and so you see where we're going here. Why Most won't the water reveal itself to us? Said the fish. <laughs> exactly. What have uh, I done uh, wrong that I cannot encounter the water? I've heard about. Oh God! I, I need to go to a, a, a fish uh, a, a temple to t- teach. Yes, me that's where the water is the in the fish temple. It's not anywhere else. You uh, got to pay know, to get in too. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to pay to get in. Uh, at, this, at this point of the inquiry, all the juiciness usually goes to why does God allow evil in the world, you know? But it, that, that's easily answered. It, it doesn't. It's we who allow it, right? That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. But this, this the, actually the thornier one is why doesn't it reveal itself to us? Well, uh, if we follow the sequence we've been on, identity offers that divine being is so busy revealing itself holoarchally to us, right? Mm-hmm. Our hierarchical-based physical sensibilities can't experience it. In other oh, words, wow. uh-huh. it's so present, it looks absent to our blunt and unevolved malconditioned ways of dualistic experience, dualistically experience, experience, experiencing experience. So it's so present because it's inside us and we're inside of it holoarchally, 
if we use our blunt and evolved ways of, of uh, dualistically experiencing uh, some aspects of it, uh, it, 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 it's so present, it will look absent to us. And this is a really important point. I just want to make a, a few more noises from the wet hole in my face about is, is this is so important. It's so innate that it looks absent, but only to when a mind or a dualistic hierarchical projection is active on it. If you if you start to deconstruct your emotional wounding, you will find that that it's at the root of all of your uh, 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 unevolved ideas, unevolved expressions, and unevolved outcomes and results yeah. in your life. I heard, I heard Adyashanti once talk about it was you know I mean as you as we've talked about he's sort of halfway between sagehood and sanehood in some ways. I don't know if he would admit that but uh that's yeah. that seemed what it seems and i remember once he, talking about seeking he's like you're looking for a needle in the haystack it's the haystack <laughs> that sort yes. of relates here we yeah, get so does. the dualistic mind is looking for something that will fit inside the dualistic mind and exactly. um all sometimes all you have to do is just stop and this is why in the old zen stories people would you know you get the person would get hit with a stick and suddenly they would, you know, awaken to, they just have to get distracted out of that um, hierarchical way of perceiving things. And um, exactly the famous tea pouring story of like, oh, uh, yes, yeah, sure, your cups, that thing. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a good one. I, I'm still chewing on that. And because it's, so, it's like, it's so present, it looks absent. Yeah. And it just, because like uh, with in my own experience, I'd say I am experiencing the divine about, I don't know, 30 or 40 percent of the time. And sometimes I forget that I can. Mm -hmm. And just this frame, it's mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of like it causes my own soul to like use more of my like soul level peripheral vision. And it's like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. that. Right. right. Oh, and I wasn't I wasn't living there like I. And right. the, the the condition self is like, well, I am talking and I have to be here and right. sort of put the non-peripheral, uh, the peripheral blinders on and I can't be connected to that at the same time. And it's like, is, is that really true? Because mm -hmm. there it is. It's never not there. Uh, my Aikido teacher once told this story about um, it, something his teacher said to him. And uh, he said uh, he was training and he was really good and um, but he was having a bad night and he said to his teacher, "Yeah, I'm just kind I'm just kind of out of it tonight." And his teacher said to him, "Yes, but it is still there." Yeah, exactly. And I love that. It's like, oh, right, because we it's so easy to think, oh, I'm out of it. It's not available. I can't do it. And it's like, no, no, no. It's always you. It's always you. It's always you. Yes, always. It doesn't forsake us like the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches us. And I, I love that you brought, yes, I, I love how you brought the peripheral vision um, because third eye access mm. will, those who have that are born with it, um, they, they, they may have a sense of some aspects of divinity, um, but only um, incomplete versions of it. And it's the same principle here. Uh, they're bypassing the mind when you use third eye, right? Uh, but unless we go, unless even a third eye person undergoes a, an emotively based deconditioning and reconditioning path, the direct experience of a limitless kind of holoarchal divine being is largely uh, locked out of us. Uh, you can, a third eye person can only stay 
in the peripheral zone, not the centered embodied zone about mm-hmm. it, do their personal healing. So this this is really an important point. Uh, think of, feel it, if I'll connect the two dots here then, if we are inside of divine being at the same time, it lives inside of us. If you can just, if people in the, who are listening here can just feel what would that, what are the repercussions of that? And you can actually feel dot, connect the dots that, that I'm inside of the same thing that's it, that is inside of me, that is so present, it's insane. And that presence is so big, it makes it absent to the dualistic mind. So well, well, uh, I, let me speak to something I'm experiencing right now that maybe is a subset of one of the earlier items on your list, but I think it bears uh, explication. And that uh-huh. is the uh, reason we don't experience the divine is because for our protection mechanisms, it's threatening, disorienting, chaotic, frightening, and um, it doesn't necessarily experience it as good. No, <laughs> that's and right. that's what when we're looking for something that's going to yes. feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the meta the meta principle behind that is the protection is always has to be in control. Yes, and control, right? And so it's something that you're inside of that is not controllable, or that you're inside of it and it's not controllable. This is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so emotional wounding which always involves uh, a protective uh, contraction in our soul field is always going to be based in in control and predictability and safety and security yeah and it is not it is not interested in the chaos of the actual flow verb flow of consciousness but if it's a white guy with a beard then that's (laughs) way very knowable not chaotic and he has a plan And he's all knowing when we've had a previous podcast about God is not omniscient, which is would be a very lovely, comforting idea. And I remember talking about that and experiencing a kind of terror like, oh, shit, it's not omniscient Um, because that also uh, chaosifies it. And um, that's part of the experience. It's so important uh, because then you terrifyingly in a lot of us means that we're responsible for our experience to another whole degree. If God is not omniscient, well, what the fuck? Neither is my protection omniscient then. Yes. And so nothing is safe then. If God is an omniscient, then we're way down the line of that. We're in in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense... um, and there's mm-hmm. another good reason. There's a great little practical example. Practical. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> practical, practical. Fractal. Like a popsicle. It's, good the, one, yeah. it's the popsicle right. that is part of all popsicles. It's fraxical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, that, that processing the lack of safety in childhood emotionally is a really key piece for accessing the experience of the divine. Because if you feel existentially and emotionally unsafe, still yes. at the level of personhood, it, yes. it makes you unable to bear the chaosification or the impermanence of that in sainthood and sagehood both, because exactly. it's very threatening to stability and control. Um, and yet you just, now we can make a closure back to your first comments here. Um, uh-huh. That is why I, in, in the earlier years, uh, uh, solely worked on personhood with people mm-hmm. and didn't go deeply into mm-hmm. sagehood 
because of exactly what you just said, you're not going to be ready for the challenges in sage or saint until you get a more emotively mature uh, seat of being. So this becomes problematic, of course, when sometimes before a person's done sufficient amount of emotive maturity work, the non-dual finds people uh, like we talked about um, the, the woman uh, in a previous the one the podcast before last. You know, mm -hmm. it just finds you. That's you can't control that, and you've got to just live with that and assume that divine being. Uh, doesn't uh, unfold itself in certain ways that isn't is greater than our ability to deal with. So, uh, in that sense, um, that the per that person at peace, and we connect another dot that you said also that EBE is a spiritual practice. It's not a psychotherapy. Right. It's a spiritual practice that takes advantage of the insights uh, psychology uncovered in the last 140 years, but is based on an entire different foundation of emotivity first, unlike Freud and Jung and Adler and all the rest of them. Well, it does. Okay. Yeah, and it answers that question that Freud asked in 1915, how do you make the unconscious uh, conscious? So the, right. It, it just sees the unconscious as an aspect of soul. And he was not looking at it that way because he was in science land. That's exactly right. Jung was a little softer about that because he was interested in Eastern teachings. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's why Jung, for me, uh, is far more of a, a role model than Freud, who, yeah, well, they both had interesting personality defects that were pretty I'm sure it was very hard for them to find a good therapist, being probably the best therapist around at the time. It's like, uh, that's why you should, if there's only that old joke about if there's a, a two barbers in town, you should go to the one with the worst hair, go to the one with the worst haircut yeah because the other yes. guy's cutting his hair you know. cutting his hair right exactly <laughs> okay that's 11. uh we'll we'll re we'll reboot each one of these uh, at the end here okay uh, now the next thing that next island that connects to this to the uh to the um what's the what's the the word for a string of uh islands it's called archipelago it, yes archipelago mm -hmm. it's archipelago of 13 oh, assumptions nice. The next island is since 2012, and here's another reason why we don't experience divine being. Mm. Uh, since 2012, the yin aspect of divine being has replaced the yang aspect. So the big hairy uh, uh, thunderer in the sky or his son, the blue-eyed and white-skinned Jesus, um, whatever you want to believe about that, that's fine. They're now obsolete. Um, all projections of, of divine being now since 2012 um, uh, as a yang-based entity are obsolete and as such require us to learn an entirely different way of relating to divinity through yin-based stillness and surrender algorithms as opposed to um, uh, the uh, mind and will-based and energy-based manifestations of, of yang. So another reason why we don't experience in the modern day uh, uh, divine being anymore is if you're holding on to a, a hairy thunderer in the sky of a patriarchal God who's jealous and punitive, you are not going to, there's another thing that's going to keep you from experiencing the yin divinity that now rules the um, consciousness roost of uh, the human condition. So there's another uh, pearl in the archipelago, um, however you pronounce that. Archipelago. Archipelago. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that will prevent us from experiencing divine being if we're holding on to old patriarchal versions of it, as all religions do. Uh, yeah. by default. 
by our conditioning, yeah. right? Okay, so now we get to um, number 13 here, uh, the final uh, uh, island in our chain. To ever discover um, the big E holon essence, uh, the holoarchal divinity, in this case, yin divinity, we have to first learn to embody our own small e holon soul essence first. Mm -hmm. because our, because our small e holonic nature is emoto soulful. In other words, another reason you don't experience a divine being is you are not in touch with the first version of it, which is your own soulfulness. So you, so unless you do personhood, as you said earlier, in identity, you will not discover or ensoul your consciousness with that which is previous to your personality affectations, mm -hmm. right? So you'll never get the divine being if you're not in touch first with your own bloody soul, your own individuated soul that has a mental body and a will body and an etheric body in between lifetimes. And that's uh, a good place to insert a distinction because you can have spiritual experiences here and there without yes, being right? more Absolutely. essential in embodiment. But you can't abide ongoingly with the divine without connection to that soul. And that's where a lot of people get hooked. And I for, for sure was hooked on that for a while. The yeah. repeated spiritual experiences as a way to have an abiding relationship with the divine. It's very tempting, but uh, it doesn't work. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, those kinds of uh, experiences of the divine are episodic. Yeah. Right. And, uh, like a drug in the yeah. most negative way of framing it. You've got to keep having the drug because it's not actually medicinal. Uh, yeah. It doesn't actually change something. It gives more insight, more expansion, blah, blah, blah. But in, in that sense, um, to actually abide full time seamlessly with the structural seamlessness of our small H holon with the capital W H holon, yeah. um, You've got to um, outwork, uh, you've got to have already encountered your own piece of the WH holon, which is your soul. Well, and and, you know, uh, it just heartens me there for a moment because um, uh, um, um, entheogens, hallucinogens, whatever you want to call them, are at all time high popularity, pardon the pun, um, the highness there. Um, so the the that's producing a lot more spiritual experiences than used to be for probably plenty of atheists and agnostics. And yes. like for me in my early 20s, uh, my use of LSD was instrumental in finding a spiritual path. I would not have sure. been interested in, in it whatsoever if I didn't sure. have those spiritual experiences. And so I think more and more people are going to be, after having yeah. those episodic encounters, are going to be hungry yeah. for wanting to abide with it and and because they're going to dead end um just the tastes here and there exactly and that's why this development uh is not a devolution step a devolutional uh, a step it's an evolutional step because it will give people the barest of experiences of the divine albeit mediated by chemistry or by or by um uh, uh plant spirits right? yeah and spirits so so it's a great way to do that as long as you don't get uh, too hooked on it um, mm -hmm. and, uh, there's all there's a dead end to that too but everyone's got to have their own path with it so identity would say if if you've never had an experience of something bigger than your own ego focus 
try some of these under good supervision and as, as sacred rituals and not as just uh, recreational um, stuff and uh, see it for what it is. It can open doorways for further in inquiry. But in the end, you've got to come back home, yeah. clear your brain of, of those um, and your, your, your physical body of those uh, effects of that because there are. But um, and then and then get busy on your um, what you're resisting in uh, feeling how unsafe the world feels mm, to you. Yeah, because a spiritual people. experience can be just uh, an improvement upon a belief, and it's just uh, I'm going to have you know every couple of months a spiritual experience, and then I feel porosified and lit up, and then next quarter I need to do it again. Exactly, um, which is where a lot of people live. Yeah, and again, that's where they are at this point in time, mm -hmm. and. Uh, the basic parameter here is identity. Any 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 experience of that which is beyond uh, your own uh, dualistic focus uh, is helpful to one day turn into a permanent abidement. Um, so in that sense, um, uh, discovering our own piece of the spiritual pie, which is our personal soulfulness first, is impossible to do from the mind eye, humanism, it's impossible to do from the negation of our mind eye, Buddhism. It's also impossible to do from the collectivization of our mind eye, which is Hinduism, mm. or an apology for having selfish urges of the mind or will, which is all Western religionism. None of those, uh, humanism, Buddhism, Hinduism, or Western religionism, none of them are going to deliver you to your soul. Uh, and, and as much as there are really good aspects to all of those things, um, they're not going to deliver you to your soul uh, until you realize that the path to um, embodying your own soulfulness upstream of your local personality is automatically attained by uncoiling all the rocks that sit on top of that natural geyser of being. We always said in the early days too, in 1.0, that uh, EBE on the way to ensoulment, as we would say now, is a subtractive, not an, an additive process. You subtract wound contractions that, that kink the tube of your geyser of soul to come forward from behind to your to your in the, in the soul domain to the human domain. So um, in that sense, uh, only the only way to encounter in soul uh, to be in soul in your own piece of the spiritual pie before you could ever get access to the holon wh holon. Uh, it won't it deliver. You won't be delivered there by humanism, Buddhism, Hinduism, or um, Western religions. Uh, they just don't go that deep. So there's there's thirteen. Um, uh, let me just summarize here before we go back. If there's any yeah. more questions about each of them, the, these thirteen proposals are an in, inevitable unfolding that explains why one layer at a time and with a couple of sidebars um, uh, uh, explains why we don't uh, experience ourselves firstly as souls and secondly as uh, children of the divine as an abiding permanent state. Because if we're not experiencing it as an abiding personal state, uh, then somewhere we have a terror of being, a terror of not being, or a terror of non-being obstructing that permanent access. Mm -hmm. So in that, in that sense, um, this explains 
that that inevitable unfolding of those thirteen uh, islands uh, in the I still can't remember archipelago. Archipelago uh, it explains why so few of us in history have ever had the experience um, of divine being uh, consciousness modes that are conditioned by ancient and modern paradigms, secular and spiritual paradigms prevent it. And here's where uh, what you already anticipated a while ago. Because human consciousness is primarily emotive, and we are small-age holons of a love-based holon, then we're intrinsically made of love also in this no-separation, seamless uh, 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 relatedness with divine being. And love, the best way we can describe it in the most meta sense is that it's an emotive reality. So unless uh, you are really, in that way, human consciousness, because it's a child of a love-based divine being, human consciousness is made of emotiveness, mm-hmm. way upstream of willfulness or mentalness or physicalness. And that's the key that identity, the brand new sea change that it gives to uh, um, uh, uh, um, all forms of, ev- of spiritual evolution and personal evolution tied in one paradigm without any separation, just like uh, we are tied without any separation from divine being. Yes. Yeah, so, recently I've been talking with people about the a way of describing how our protection mechanisms work and how they act as like traffic cops with emotion. They want to feel the good feelings and repress the bad feelings. And there's a dual. Du, there's a, an expression of dualism, which was one of the items on the list. And right. the divine just doesn't relate to reality that way. It doesn't. It's not like there's. But isn't it funny how we think or people think that there's more God in a church or a temple than, <laughs> as you used to say, on a gutter in Calcutta. Yeah. Like if it's everywhere, then it can't be more in some place than another. And the way we holonically can um, embody that is that there's as much God in joy as there is in depression in one way. Exactly. Uh, That's right. But if we're not relating to it in that unilistic, inclusive way, then we separate ourselves out from the wholeness with a capital W of the divine. Yeah. I love that point you made because there are points on the planet uh, that are chakra points for the planet that they call sacred spaces or sacred sites or whatever. Mm The, the Earth um, breathes its own chakral system, and those undeniably exist. But that doesn't mean that they're any more sacred than um, a square foot in uh, the worst part of New York City or Calcutta. You, the orientation here is that everything is divine, and if you strategize, oh, I'm going to create a sacred space in my home that has candles and an altar, and uh, I'm going to dress uh, more in robes and have canopies and not straight, not right angles in my home and all these kinds of things. That's good. Yeah. That's where you're at. That, that's fine. But that's spiritual dress up. Yeah. When you really emotively mature spiritually through emotivity, nothing is strategic. You don't need any sacred spaces because you're too busy being sacred yourself. You don't need any accoutrements that way. So all this means that yin divinity is now awaiting humanity, you know. It's awaiting humanity to wake up from the partially true, partially not true uh, um, uh, stories of Eastern and Western uh, religious antiquity 
and of modern scientific empiricism. It's waiting for us to wake up to a completely, oh my God, a self-verifiable experience mm -hmm. mediated by learning more and more deeply to embody every day we feel, therefore we are, uh, orientation to, to human consciousness. So identity offers uh, <laughs> in all these ways, invites anyone with the necessary fortitude, openness, or curiosity about a consciousness adventure to yeah. uh, test. A consciousness <laughs> adventure, nice. That sounds yes. like the subtitle of a book. Uh, there you go. Uh, identity is a consciousness adventure and we're urging you to test it, hike the terrain, the inner terrain uh, that identity invites you access to that other paradigms, I'm sorry to say, just don't. They just don't at the moment. Um, and test it for both its what metaphysical sobriety and its real results. You know, um, when, when I talk to people about the very often it's about the belief in God that they have or disbelief. And I, if I tell them like, you know, there's a way to actually have an abiding relationship with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever spoken to someone who was like, really? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. And I don't understand why not. Like, I can understand why someone wouldn't want to dig up all the wounds from their childhood Right. to become you know a mystery more authentic self who would i be then like you don't know right. i can understand that but right. if that would lead to a direct abiding experience with the divine yeah how could you not want to try that out i don't understand yeah. I, i've never understood that that sounds just like the coolest thing in the world but i guess that communicates more something about me than it does other people <laughs> it does joseph and that's why you and i inevitably met this lifetime mm. even though we engineered it ahead of time it's still always miraculous to me mm. another way to, to posit all this uh, is um, in a really easily summarizable way is that we no longer need churches and temples and um, pagodas and uh, shuls and um uh, we're walking, each one of us is a church, each one of us is a temple, because we're a downline expression of the divine, and the whole structure is already waiting for us, and identity unlocks the key to experience that structural reality. I was talking with Casey, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, he had this beautiful metaphor. I'd like to end it with that. Case, if you're hearing this, man, I love this metaphor. He said it once he was uh, led to make a drawing, and there's uh, three elements to it. There's a sun, and it's shining on a lock, you know, a lock. Uh -huh. uh, and as the sun shines on the lock, the shadow has the shape of the key. Oh, cool. Uh -huh. That the what appears to be the lock how do I how do I align my human frailties and imperfections with the divine? The answer, the key, is in the lock. It's in the humanity itself. By mm -hmm. unrolling that emotively in the way that identity has found a way to crack the code, uh, the key to an abiding relationship with divinity is in the lock, not by transcending the lock. By, and uh, by turning toward the shadow, that which we exactly. most want to turn away from. 
exactly and, right and exactly. find the essential essentialness in it that was long and lost oh yes and yes so that's today's um 13 steps interestingly uh mm -hmm. 13 islands in an archipelago i did it um of unfolding islands that lead us from being trapped in having no experience of god at the one end and having a 100% one day embodiment of it as a constant relational companion for your life. And How could you not want it as a full-time companion well, for your that's life? That's what I want to speak to. Yeah, I want I want to say a, a little bit more because just in the recent days as work in my own process has been coming to, to a, a kind of um, um, a momentary fruition where we, you know we often say that uh, EBE is 90% um, uh, work. What do we call it? 90% setup, 90% setup and 10% payoff. Well, in the last yes. week, I'm starting to experience some of that payoff. In time, just, in, just in time, not in content. Yeah, in yeah, time. yeah. There's yeah. cycles of it. And so I've been yeah. reaping some of the rewards of work that goes back like a year. And I've just been feeling this astonishment, just an astonishment that more people don't want to do this. Hmm. I don't understand. Like, is the pursuit of happiness that is so visibly not working for people. Yeah. It's so yeah. visibly not working is the consumerism, is the collectivism, is right. the distractionism, is social media, is all of these things, the religion, it's so obviously bereft of beauty, bounty, meaning, fulfillment. Is it really working for people so well? Uh -huh. I, 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 I'm just astonished. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me and I you know I can go into my head and be like okay well you know younger souls and people have yep. to dead end and uh, right. there's just uh, there's just a I don't know there's something in me I'm not yet fully processed there's, there's it's a sorrow of like that's it that you know it's it. right here it's right freaking here there's there's a whole new set of questions a map that can be followed right. mysteries that have been solved for you Yes. So you, <laughs> so you can follow, find your own new mysteries, but like yes. you don't have to go in circles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I just, yeah, something, something in me is just astonished that it's not more popular. Well, you named it already. Let me just highlight it. Um, uh, the, when people ask me what's identities, um, uh, 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 how, how, how would it name, uh, the most, the deepest addiction of humanity and happiness. i would say it's happiness yeah, yeah. Uh, so while that becomes the 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 north star of all of our efforts we are doomed to stay to be stuck because happiness is transient outside the happiness is always related to circumstances on the outside that you enjoy whereas real joy is impossible unless you go inward and take the hero's journey to the underworld, as we said in other, um, yeah. in other podcasts. So in this case, the underworld is our inner world of uh, unconscious wounding. So yeah, I, love, the, I love, I love you how you wish, how could, how could he, yeah. how can the world not, but. But the pursuit of happiness has to dead end many yeah. lifetimes over before you give up on it. Um, that's right. Stay with it. If that's your track, just know that one day, one life, uh, there's another choice to be made between secular humanistic atheism and religious Eastern or Western spirituality. Uh, there's something in between that links the two 
and obviates the um, the singular abidement in either. So a true um, what is it? Katal uh, uh, um, not a uh, not a um, a, a, u- a union of it of of the t- of east and west, but a. Uh, um, not a it? synthesis, but a meta- metathesis. What did you call it? Meta- I call it a metathesis. Metathesis, yeah. Not a synthesis. Uh, the, the integral theory is a synthesis of east yeah. and west, but uh, identity is a metathesis of it. You need to have a metathesis to two conflicting theses. Uh, mm-hmm. A metathesis, right? So that's what identity is. And until next time, uh, consider that. Uh, uh, what a boon it would be to have divine being as a lively companionship companion. You said about 30%. Um, that's more than I was at your age. That's for sure. <laughs> really? No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you lost it for a while. Yeah. I had to, I had to lose it. Um, I, I can, I can honestly say with no hubris, uh, at all, uh, that, uh, upwards of 80% to 85 of my day is consciously in abidement with divine being. And to me, that is already attainment uh, because remember, Joseph, in the early days, let's just reverse the protective two-thirds and authentic. Mm-hmm. So two-thirds authentic. Well, the same applies in the big spiritual realms, too. Um, mm-hmm. If I can get to be, if I can have two-thirds of my consciousness uh, 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 baking in divine being consciously uh, in the day, I've, I've made it. Yeah, well, I, and I can feel because sometimes it's, you know, that's on average. Sometimes it's 5%. Sure. Other days it's other on some days it's more than 50. Yeah, and I believe then you. shit yeah. gets stirred up. I when I feel it and I start yeah. to feel the chaos and like, how am I going to plan my life? And I don't have control over my outcomes anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I can feel that sometime down the line, there's a, a kind of reckoning that's going to be Joseph having to let go of his life in some ways that I have not, that I'm still negotiating, some part of me is still negotiating with. I can feel that coming. Well, yeah, I love that you brought the percentages in because that's how we hold it. There are some moments in a day where I'm 100% and other times I'm 60 or, or 55 or 70, and the average is around 80. So it's never a constant flow because divine being is, is it's not always- not a state, perfect. it's not a noun, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I sometimes dip into that over 50 thing or whatever, where there's more of it than me. And that brings up that brings up the terror of non-being, which I've started to actually chip away at. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot working three hoods at the same time. But what what the fuck else is there to do? You can pursue <laughs> happiness instead and, well, you know, get in search of the perfect Pinot Noir or cappuccino and find really great restaurants and stuff. But like. Ugh. Or wait for it. Or both. Or, no, no, no. <laughs> Another domain. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are going to have a uh, uh, are going to get together in a st- a match to see who can beat up the other one in a kids <laughs> match. This I'm not making this up. Both no, they're talking about that. They're talking about they're they both don't they dislike each other whether that dislike is a media construct or not they're going to do a cage match of some kind uh to see who can beat up the other one come on uh, these are two billionaires who apparently have attained some sort of happiness and yet this is the kind of thing that they're drawn to do so what what world is this 
What world is this, Joseph? I, I see this. I, I had to Google this right now because I, as the producer of this show, I feel responsible for occasional fact-checking. Matt Brown reacts to the news that Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter owner Elon Musk are reportedly serious about fighting each other. Yes, one day ago, this is actually happening. Yes. Be- because who has more money can't settle the issue. They've got to actually come to fisticuffs to determine who is, insert the adjective, more right. what? Whatever. I don't know what. And you know, what What breaks my heart in one way is these are two autistic. Uh, I was just going to say, who's more autistic? They should fight over that. Yeah, uh, they're oh. both on the spectrum. Um, and this is a compliment. Uh, people on the spectrum tend to be geniuses uh, in certain domains, in domains exclu- yeah. exclusive of other domains. They should fight over who blew more billions in the last two years. Uh, 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 Elon taking over um, Twitter and trying to be yeah. its CEO and firing people horribly and or right. um, Zuckerberg uh, pursuing as a projection of his own wounding, pursuing pursuing virtual reality in completely stupid uh, and yeah. poorly implemented ways. <laughs> oh my God, those those that when when they renamed it Meta, you know, oh, the, I know, I, no. the irony was so thick. I, I, <laughs> I was defecating it. Uh, the irony it was so right. to, yeah, yeah, technology uh, Meta via technology. Yeah, sure, that's exactly how the mind thinks. Well, if I just think about this small enough, yeah. I'll somehow arrive at some big picture perspective. Yeah, that. Good luck with that have to create a whole new reality and then somehow I'll find the real reality by creating a new reality. Or on the other end of the spectrum, exactly the same thing that astrophysicists do by look, plumbing the secrets of the origin of the universe by going smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yes, right. Oh, there's, and that's on the list, the dualistic mind. Let's make smaller pieces and we'll find God because yeah. it's the needle in the haystack somewhere, right? Yeah, for them, the haystack. for them, God is the big bang, you know? Uh, that's our creator. So, okay. Juicy, so I, I, I can't wait to read this article. Um, yeah, I mean, if they sold tickets, sure, why not? Uh, wow, I'd watch that. <laughs> I have to. Yeah, it's like watching. Um, uh, uh, I don't watch. I can't watch golf, but I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can. I can golf uh, once every ten years, but only ironically. You know. <laughs> I can bowl once every 30 years, but only ironically. But this, this stuff, people dedicate their whole lives to it. It's called also reality TV, you know? Yeah, wow. Okay, um, okay well, Next my mind time. is blown but, that that's actually real. Uh, can I talk about next next time? Yeah, next time, uh, if logistics work out. At the moment, it's planned, um, but uh, due to the chaosification of life, you never know. But at the moment, uh, we're going to have a, a special guest and going to be talking about um, uh, similar to what we talked about with uh, Laura, it's going to be a personhood, sagehood, um, possible blend, and um, we're going to see if we can help a, uh, a dear friend of identity and someone who is uh, dealing with a stuck place with some identical, identical perspective. Identical, sure. Um, yeah. Well, in other words, it's going to be sort of like a, a, a real time how identity addresses someone who's really in a difficult spot not just we reported on it with laura but as i understand it joseph yeah, he's going to show up he, he's going to be right here next to me yeah he's going to be yeah. in my little studio so okay. um, that's what will be that'll be episode 62 wow yeah okay 
Thank you. Uh, on on epi- it just hit me on episode hundred. We're we're gonna drink. Let's drink through the episode. All right, but for that, please, I have a I have a white wine from France that costs um, about two hundred dollars a bottle, mm-hmm. um, and I and I ache for it. I tasted it once in a restaurant and. I swooned literally. So, uh, we're on our hundredth one, let's get together and maybe cost uh, cost share here and get a bottle of that at either end. And, yes, uh, yeah, maybe a bottle uh, each. A bottle each. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> and, sure. Uh, and we'll toast it with a very expensive French white, um, yeah. which are just so exquisite. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Stace. Right. Thank you, sir. Lovely as usual. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And until next time, as I always say, we wish you well on your journey. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.